Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Colts bye week is here, so we're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner, and it's big picture. You know, in the history of doing these bye week podcasts, it's hand out midseason awards, it's look ahead to free agency in the offseason, those sorts of things, but... When you fired your coach midseason and you've yet to reach your bye week, of course the bye week is here, Eddie Garrison, it's probably a good time to look at the head coach opening. And we haven't really done that very in-depth this year. And so that's what we're going to do on today's podcast. We're about a month into the Jeff Saturday era. And so look at the qualities that Jim Mercer should be seeking out and finding his next head football coach. And then also we're going to look at some candidates Posted a pretty lengthy piece on 107.5thefan.com earlier this week listing 20 potential candidate names, kind of segmented them out into college coaches and then NFL head coach experience and assistants and position coaches in the league. So we'll look at it uh, from that point of view coming up here in a few. Uh, Eddie, how you doing, man? Doing well. Hopefully you're feeling a little better. Yeah, the voice is starting to improve. Granted, I'm a little worried about like just did the show now the podcast. You know how were the voice hold up? But. I know we had some people on the YouTube. By the way, thank you for the interaction on YouTube and the views and all, all things of that nature. But had some people commenting on there that KB, you sound a little under the weather, and hopefully yep. uh, that you started to feel better. I appreciate that. Yeah, a little Jordan flu game. Our low. I mean, the Colts have had a lot of flu games. I think recently here with what their injury report has looked like. Um, looking ahead to next week before we hop into today's podcast, I don't know, Eddie, we'll, we can talk about our schedules. Maybe like a Tuesday pod. You know, the Colts play on a Saturday yeah. next week, so it'll be kind of an earlier week for them. Um, so we'll, we'll wait to see what the media schedule looks like. Uh, but just one pod next week, of course, is it'll be Colts and Vikings. Uh, so four straight in the old solo primetime slot or solo national slot is how I should refer to it, from Monday night with the Steelers, Sunday night with the Cowboys, Saturday afternoon with the Vikings, and then that Monday nighter with the Chargers. For those that care, the Colts will have the rest advantage. They didn't have it with the Cowboys. They will have the rest advantage their next two games with the Vikings having a short week this week, and then they'll get an extra day over the Chargers here coming up for that Monday night home game the Monday after Christmas. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I, I want to start here, Eddie. I think there's, before we get into the candidates, I think there's four qualities that Jim Mercer needs to be looking for in the next head football coach. And I think two supersede the rest. I'll start with the CEO, leader of men comment. And Frank Reich would probably disagree with me on this, but I feel like in Frank Reich's history here as head coach, I don't know if he ever fully embraced and or acted enough on the head coach title. Um, And part of that is understandable because when you're calling the plays for your offense, that takes up so much of your time. But I think what you miss out on when you do that is 
do you completely know how your roster ticks? Do you know how they react to certain things? And again, when I say they, I mean 53 guys, both sides of the ball, offense, defense, special teams. That's can't a big, can't big forget endeavor. about practice squad either. Practice squad, sure. I mean, it's a big endeavor. And when I say guys too, let's talk about your coaching staff, not just players. Uh, you know, when is it needed to change up some processes in order to kind of light a fire? Um, you know, in game during the week, do you have enough of a grasp on, hey, we need to make some tweaks here? Or just how your entire building is operating. So, uh, I think that is something that you really have to focus on. You know, obviously, in the AFC conference itself, and you can certainly found, find outliers to this, but I think the teams that have had the greatest amount of success over the years, um, all of those coaches would fall into this category. Belichick, Mike Tomlin, and John Harbaugh as overseeing the entire operation there. I found it interesting, I guess, two notes on this, Colts-related. We, did we insert the Tony Dungy audio? I, I kind of forget. Did we do, I think we did the Paris Campbell instead of the Dungy one, right? So we had Tony Dungy on our morning show a few weeks back, Eddie, and I asked him this kind of very question. You know, why did you decide to not call plays? Defensive plays, of course, would have been Dungy's thing. And Dungy said he kind of learned from Chuck Knoll that... When you do that, in a way, you're neglecting one side of the ball. You know, there always was, I think, a feeling from the Colts' defense of like, oh yeah, Frank's the offensive coach, and he's just not in those sorts of meetings. And I feel like, again, you just lose a little bit of touch with that other unit. Um, I found it very interesting that Nick Sirianni got into the weeds with Philly, started to call plays, and then realized, no. This is not the best thing for this football team. And kind of put his ego to the side and allowed Shane Steichen to do that. So um, that would be kind of the first quality that I would look at um, that I think the Colts should seek out. Again, there are examples of guys that are calling plays that have had success. I don't want to act like it's some, if you do it, you stink. And if you don't do it, you have great success. But I think it's a route that I would like to see the Colts go with. I would agree with you there. That's something that I think I've been pretty advocating to advocate an advocate of uh, throughout the pod. You know, we bring up numerous times throughout the year, or at least early in the season with Frank Reich, and you know, I was always a big advocate of like, does he ha- like the message? Is it stale and all all of those things? And being able to be that CEO leader of men kind of type, I think, is more the wave of today's NFL. Uh, the second trait that you've got. On 1075thefan.com for what the Colts should be looking in for and their new head coach, quarterback development key. You know, when I would sit down, if I were Jim Mercer in that interview, I think you you have to feel the leader CEO type. Like you just kind of naturally feel that over the interview process. The quarterback development key is almost like show me. Show me how you're going to develop a quarterback. And you know what? It's looking like the Colts are not going to have the first or second pick in this year's draft. They might not have the first or second quarterback in this year's draft. So that even further emphasizes the need to develop. And when when I say de- when I say develop, there's a lot that goes into that. Again, personnel-wise, this is the biggest personnel question the organization has faced in over two decades. Manning and Luck were rather obvious. This is not Manning or Luck. 
you're going to have to develop this guy. And what you need to make sure you have a great understanding of is, what if you find great success with this young quarterback? What if he comes in here and has a you know, Joe Burrow-type start to his career where maybe year one isn't great, but year two takes off and year three takes off, and you know Brian Callahan is the OC. He goes and takes a job elsewhere. Okay, Zach Taylor, you know how are you going to make sure that Joe Burrow still feels comfortable? Now, again, Zach Taylor comes from an offensive background. It's his system that's in place there. So that's always going to be a calling card. And honestly, this is an attribute to Frank that I think benefited the Colts in that you knew it was always going to be Frank's system. So you weren't going to have offensive turnover. Well, it's really, really important to make sure that you don't have offensive turnover. Um, Some of it is inevitable, but if you do that, what are the systems in place? Who are the people in place to try and make sure that your rookie quarterback does not turn into three offensive coordinators in five years or or something Mm -hmm. along those lines? So um, skill development, certainly, that plays into it. Intellectual development, that also plays into it. But more than anything... You have just got to make sure that your system is steady, that that quarterback feels comfortable, and that if and when there are coaching changes, that it's not some overwhelming, taxing, totally new system for this guy. So these two traits, Eddie, the CEO and the offensive develop and the quarterback development, by far for me, the two most important that the Colts have got to focus, concentrate on, and nail it in this process. Uh, the first two quarterbacks you think of when you think of you know development and the coaching staff having you know some what of the same resemblance uh, throughout the first couple seasons of this quarterback's um, professional career. First is Josh Allen with Buffalo. Uh, yeah, Brian Dable there for a couple of seasons, and then Ken Dorsey steps up from the quarterback's coach to the OC. They haven't really skipped a beat offensively. Um, and then Jalen Hurts in Philly. Yeah. Uh, you've got Shane Steichen there as his offensive coordinator. Each of uh, Hurts, what, now three years? Um, and then their quarterback's coach. Brian Johnson, yeah. Yep, Brian Johnson. He's been there with Hurts the entire way. So those are two quarterbacks that I immediately think of when it comes to quarterback development. I th- And we'll get to both of those guys later uh, the Eagles coaches, that is, um, and our 20 potential head coaching candidates. Uh, and I, I just throw one more team in there of what Kansas City and losing Matt Nagy, but yet still keeping things yeah. where obviously Andy Reid has the huge influence over all of that. But with Eric Bieniemy and and um, you know how Kansas City has operated, that's been really, really critical. Uh, so again, those two traits, to me, are one and one a in this process? Uh, three and four for you are kind of like two and three to most people because, like you said, just one a and one b. What the first two traits? Uh, trait number three open to current defensive style. Yeah, and again, this one is not like locked in stone, but uh, does this matter? And, you know, and a lot of this could be dependent on Chris Ballard because Chris Ballard has probably had more defensive say here than any sort of coach. You know, Ballard wanted to make the shift from the 3-4 to the 4-3 under Chuck, um, and he did that. Uh, but with how the Colts have drafted to that defense, with the heavy emphasis on speed and length, you know, should they try and kind of key on keeping the system in place just from a personnel standpoint to where you're not overhauling too, too much? So again, I'm not necessarily married to this idea, but I do think it's an idea in the process that 
could, you know, accelerate how quickly of a rebuild or, you know, I guess stymie how quickly of a rebuild if you want to look at in the opposite direction this can go. Be kind of interesting to see also like the defensive coordinator and how it all will play out. Like the way Gus Bradley has been able to manage and coach this defense, I think has improved uh, from the Matt Eberflus era. Certainly, yeah, yeah, certainly. And is Gus Bradley going to be here? I mean, that's a big part of it, yeah. just from a personnel standpoint during that hiring process. Uh, the final trait that you are looking for in the next head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, I think is an area in which Colts fans, I don't think, gave uh, Frank Reich enough credit in, and that was player development. Yeah, I would agree. This was one of my biggest issues exiting the Chuck Pagano era. I thought that staff was very poor in the player development. Um, Did you have misses in the draft? Yes. Did you also have misses in your ability to develop some of those young guys? Without question. And I thought... The Frank Reich era, there are several, several players you can point to, both sides of the ball, uh, undrafted guys, early round picks, however you want to describe it, that they developed. Some guys made position switches and developed there. Um, so I think that is something that you look at the Reich era and say that's important to try and maintain. Um, and again, this probably can be said for any starting coaching staff, but as you continue to get into the contract situations that the Colts are getting into and the cap is a little bit more uh, one hand tied behind your back and what you can do drafting guys that are young and developing them and seeing them contribute on those rookie contracts that adds to the the importance of that so just continued player development is a really really big key and that's where you see the high the high character that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich viewed in players is that those guys with that high character had you could say a little bit better of a work ethic and that led to more player development definitely uh, that we saw in comparison to the Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano era. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So now that we've laid out the kind of traits that you're looking for in the next head coach, let's go to your latest article on 1075thefan.com on the 20 potential Colts head coaching candidates. Uh, You group these in NFL head coaching experience, NFL coordinators and position coaches, um, and then some college coaches that have... uh, Should we start with the college group? We can if you want. Let's kind of go in reverse order. Okay. Um, And again, there's 20 of these. We're not going to go... Name by name, but we'll have Eddie read off um, all the names under each sort of headline, and then any that kind of stand out to either of us will interject on. So why don't you start with the five college head coaches listed? Okay, you started with uh, Ohio State's Brian Day, current record of 45-5 and five at the University of Ohio State, or Ohio State University, I should say. I don't want... OSU fans coming for me there. Yeah, man. You you might want to lock the door tonight. I know. The Ohio State University. Uh, He just got hired from Cincinnati to Wisconsin. Head coach Luke Fickle. Uh, uh, 57-18 was his record at Cincinnati. The next coach that you have listed hasn't won a game or lost a game yet as a head coach in college, and that is South Florida's Alex Golse. I hope I'm saying that right. 
Is that Golse? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, USC's head coach Lincoln Riley, uh, 66 and 11 at age 39. And then Alabama's Nick Saban. <laughs> He's 71 years old. His record in college, 279, 69, and 1. Saban, man. Uh, just saying that out loud made me cough about 13 times there. You know, obviously we're a little far-fetched with some of these names, but you know what? As I threw in the article, when Jim Mercy's running the show, Eddie Garrison, sometimes you just put the seatbelt on and you say, all right, God, take the wheel. Here we go. <laughs> um, Fickle's the name that stands out to me the most. If he were still at Cincinnati and Chris Ballard were a huge part of this coaching search, I think Luke Fickle would be on an extremely short list. Ballard loves Fickle, loves what he's built there at Cincinnati. Uh, if you want to think a little Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel's college roommate, Luke Fickle. So, um, obviously the financial component of going to Wisconsin makes this extremely complicated, but I just think he's a name that the staff in this organization thinks pretty highly of. So I did want to throw him on this list. You know, Ryan Day <coughs> has some NFL experience, has some quarterback experience. Um, the goal say one, he's Tennessee's OC who just took the job at South Florida. Again, this is a little bit more of a big picture. Um, it's probably more of the new age. Like you watch Tennessee's offense, pretty unique. Yeah. Pretty unique. So is that the offense we're now going to see in the next five to seven years in college football? And is this the guy kind of getting ahead of it all? And that's kind of my thought process and just throwing his name on that list. Lincoln Riley kind of speaks for itself. Uh, And then with Saban, again, it's ludicrous for me to probably even put his name down on the list, but uh, whatever, it's my list. I wanted to do it. Uh, (laughs) Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn, KB. Like you, what is missing from the Nick Saban resume? Super Bowl. Yeah, that's it. I mean, he's the greatest college football head coach of all time. If he were to go to the NFL and win a Super Bowl, he might be the greatest football coach of all time. You know, his resume versus Jimmy Johnson's resume would get get some comparisons there. So, um, does that does Saban care about that? Who knows. Ursa gives him full control. He's 71 years old. He coaches until he's 77. See what happens. Yeah, that's the one thing I am concerned about. Like, if they went the route of a college coach, is would that coach demand for control? Whether it's Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, or Ryan Day, because both those, all three of those guys have control of who they want in terms of when they go out and recruit. Uh, the kind of players they're out there looking for, so it's just a, that's the only thing that would concern me about bringing in a college coach is that they would want full control, right? And I think that's kind of the biggest hiccup that college coaches have and in, in going to the NFL. Uh, for those that are curious, we have Jim Harbaugh on another subset of this former NFL head coach, um, but that that's a huge question I have about these coaches is how much do they want of that? I think that was a big struggle for Matt Rule in Carolina, and he kind of it. Admitted some of that is, you know, I'm kind of guaranteed a, or think I'm guaranteed more of a five or six year evaluation. And when I don't even have full roster control for that evaluation only to be two to three years, that doesn't really add up to me. 
Uh, the next grouping that you did were current NFL coordinators or position coaches. You have ten of them, so we'll do the, we'll split this in half. We'll do five and five. Yeah. Uh, the first five: uh, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, Bengals offensive coordinator that you've already talked about briefly, Brian Callahan, the defensive coordinator in Buffalo who has some head coaching experience in uh, Minnesota with the Vikings, and Leslie Frazier, Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator. Uh, that is your first grouping of. Four and then your fifth, another Eagles coach, quarterbacks coach Brian Johnson. Yeah, you know Callahan is a name that um, comes from Denver. Uh, began his coaching career in Denver uh, with Peyton Manning, and he was offense quality control and then offensive assistant out there. So you know that Manning is going to be someone that Jim Mercy is going to want to contact throughout this process and get his opinion on some candidates. Um, assuming that Manning. Like this time with Callahan, could that be a name that we should pay more attention to? And, and I, I do feel like Callahan is a name that a lot of people are chatting about right now. He's 38 years old. Obviously, Cincinnati continues to look like they are a very legit team. Um, so that would be something that you would keep in mind. If Jeff Saturday's in a front office role, would that influence him? You know, with Peyton Manning's connection on that front. Leslie, Leslie Frazier, of course, interviewed the second time around. In 2018, so that's a reason why I put him on this list. He also was an assistant here in Indy, the assistant head coach, uh, for a year when Jeff Saturday was playing. So that's another reason why I threw him on here. You know, the two Eagles guys, Jonathan Gannon was in Indy, so you would think the ownership group and Chris Ballard knows him pretty directly. Um, I think of his temperament a little bit more Sirianni than Reich. Honestly, it's probably a little bit of a mix of Sirianni and Reich. I, I'd say it hails on on, on some fire. Um, and he's a guy that's been deep in the process a couple of coaching cycles ago. Um, you know, he was a pretty sought-after candidate last year. Brian Johnson might be the most surprising name on the list, Eddie. He's 35 years old. Mm-hmm. He's got hardly any, you know, high-level position coaching experience. Again, he's been with the Eagles here for the last couple of seasons. But if you look at his resume, he was at Mississippi State with Dak Prescott. And then what he's done here with Jalen Hurts with the Eagles. I mean, people were pretty blown away by Prescott and just his NFL readiness coming out of Mississippi State. And then the development of Jalen Hurts and Philly. If you care a lot about pairing up that quarterback with a definite no-brainer you know this guy's going to be here for as long as that quarterback's probably going to be here. This would be that type of hire. Um, it might be two, one position specific, but that position means a whole lot. So I felt like it was deserving to throw him on this list. One thing to know, I know there have been a lot of rumors surrounding Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders about him potentially coming, you know, his contract being terminated by the Raiders and becoming a free agent. Uh, Callahan has worked with Derek Carr. He had one pit stop with the Raiders in 2018. So that could be something to monitor because, you know, Derek Carr has had ties here to Indianapolis as a possibility of being their quarterback in the past. Uh, So the next group of five from your NFL coordinators and position coaches. Uh, One of these guys I want to ask you about um, 
later after you go through your initial thoughts of this okay. grouping. Uh, Byron Leftwich, he's the offensive coordinator with the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. Gerard Mayo, uh, Patriots inside linebackers coach. That's former NFL linebacker with the Patriots too, Gerard Mayo. D'Amico Ryans, defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. And then right here, the Colts' very own special teams coordinator, Bubba Ventrone. Yeah, let's start actually with Bubba. Again, I, I thought he should have been promoted to be the interim. Um, there's a lot that I really like about Bubba Ventrone and how he carries himself. Uh, Bill Belichick has extremely high respect for him, so that would carry some weight for me. Um, I think two names that I'm very curious to see how it plays out for them because they're former players, they're both on the age of 40, um, they both, I think, fall kind of in the leader category to be Gerard Mayo in New England, and then D'Amico Ryans with the 49ers. Obviously, the 49ers have had great defensive success. Ryans is a guy that actually took himself out of the Minnesota. I don't think he interviewed with Minnesota maybe a second time around last year because he wanted to focus uh, on San Francisco's playoff run. And I think that caught some people by surprise and you know could be looked at in, in I think, a pretty positive light of um, saying, you know, I'm still pretty young at this. I'm going to have my chance, but right now I feel like we've got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And I thought that was pretty commendable by what he did. And then with Mayo, you always kind of get into the situation with New England guys, Eddie. You're, you're curious how much of a role do they have. Is he the D.C. there? It seems like he is. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, Belichick's son. Right, but it's I, I, I just get the vibe from talking to people around the situation that Mayo is extremely well-respected there. And, again, he's interviewed for several openings here in years past. So get a little bit more of defensive minded guys. Certainly on the younger route, there'd be some offensive questions with them, but there are two names that I think are worth throwing down the list. Uh Gerard Mayo was the guy I wanted to ask you about because we have yet to really see a former Patriots coach sure. succeed in a coaching role. But at the same token We've seen former players start to recently succeed in like Mike Vrabel because they have some kind of accountability and toughness they bring. Are the, those are those two other qualities that you could be looking in and Gerard Mayo could possess and the next coach? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, yeah, there is probably some of that. Uh, obviously played a similar position to what Vrabel played um, in his playing days. I always liked him a lot as a player. Um, and I get it. The New England tree has not produced you know, many, if any, winners. Uh, but I do respect Belichick to the point of if you're going to keep a guy around that long and ascend him and promote him and he's still 30, what is he, 36? 38. 38, yeah. Um, that, to me, resonates. And I think he's one that you would at least want to bring into your building. 36, yeah. I was looking at Tamika Ryans. Okay, uh, I was going to say, I knew one was a little bit younger than the other. Um, I mean, interviewed in Philly and Denver and I think with the Raiders. So clearly he's had some experience, kind of dipped his toes in that. I would like to at least get him inside your building and see what you could be working with there. Uh, your final five of the 20, these uh, next candidates, according to you, KBowen1070 on Twitter, all have NFL head coaching experience. Uh, one of them 
coached here in Indianapolis before. Jim Caldwell, uh, during his tenure as a head coach, he was 62-50. and 50. Brian Flores, he's currently in the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers organization. In Miami, he was 24-25. and 25. Jim Harbaugh with his record at the San Francisco 49ers, 74-24, and 24, currently the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. Bill O'Brien, former Houston Texans head coach, now the offense coordinator at Alabama. He was 52-48 and 48 during his tenure with the Texans. And then the most coveted name, I think, going into this coaching hiring wave, former Saints head coach Sean Payton, 152 wins and 89 losses at age 58 during his campaign, or career, I should say, uh, in the NFL so far. So obviously some interesting names, Eddie, on this list. I mean, every time I think back to the Caldwell resume, I think back to those Detroit years. I mean, three or four winning seasons in Detroit. The Lions. I mean, come on. And again, part of my thinking with this list is it's a little bit of some guys I like. It's a little bit of some guys I think the Colts would like. And it's a little bit of, again, let's focus on the young offensive mind. Um, And doesn't necessarily, I guess, have to be young, but the offensive mind. And if Jeff Saturday's running the show... You know, would Frank Reich or would, excuse me, Jim Mercer kind of go down that path? And on the Frank Reich front, is it too similar of a temperament to Reich? Um, you know, I mentioned this last year when Flores got fired in Miami. I go, I would hire Brian Flores tomorrow and move Frank Reich to offense coordinator. I remember this. You know, I, I was adamant about that. And it's something that I still, you know, think obviously the Colts weren't, weren't going to do it, but. Um, I mean, they won nine and ten games each of the last two years. Yes, it's not like they had Tyreek Hill and Tua was still very early in that development and did it with a variety of quarterbacks. Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, being a big, big part of it. You know, Harbaugh I think speaks for itself. His NFL resume in San Francisco is beyond impressive. What he did there those four seasons. Um, to your earlier point, Eddie, how much control would he want, and how attractive is this? How attractive is this for Jim Harbaugh and or Sean Payton? Yep. Because those two stand out to me above the rest of the candidates. Do they want to come here? What do they think about the quarterback situation? What do they think about the owner? I think those are two very relevant and appropriate questions to ask when you're considering two guys that can be choosy. There's some names on this list that if they really want a job, they probably can't be very choosy. Those two can be really, really choosy. Those two could continue to handle the roles that they're doing and come back in the 2023-2024 coaching cycle and have their pick of the litter in all likelihood. Um, You know, the Bill O'Brien name, honestly, is a name I think Purdue should be looking into right now to fill their opening. Eddie, it's kind of amazing to me that Bill O'Brien is viewed in such a negative light. So here was my question before you turned to Bill O'Brien. I was like, if you... Took the name off. That this is the game and that I played look, this morning. And on. you look yeah. at the resume. I, I didn't even know this. And if you look at the resume, what? Why would he not be a qualified qualified to be a head coach? Two years in the Big Ten, two winning seasons, and I think they won ten conference games at Penn State with a team that had scholarship restrictions and no postseason eligibility. Houston, there for six full seasons, four playoff years, advanced in the playoffs multiple times, won the division four times, and then 
He's been Nick Saban's offense coordinator for the last couple of years. Again, if his name was John Smith, to your point, Eddie, that's a resume that would blow a lot of people away. Yeah, You don't see that sort of resume just sitting there for the age of 53. Did he run into some personnel issues at Houston? Sure. Okay. So maybe you restrict how much roster control he has. But as a head football coach, that Houston team had some talent. I don't think it was like insanely talented from 1 to 53. I mean, he can coach some offense. He can coach some offense and got, you know, again, it's not like Sean Watson was quarterbacking all those Texans teams. I mean, that was some wild names at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, Osweiler and Savage and whoever the else the hell they had at quarterback. I can't believe Savage was the second name that I went to after Osweiler. Um, <laughs> Fitzpatrick, maybe? I, I, can't, I don't know if, they, if his path crossed there or not. Yeah, it, it definitely did. I think he played pretty much everywhere. But that's just a name that, given the resume, like, doesn't that matter to some degree? Um, so, again, curious your guys' thoughts on that. Um, again, it's a very rough sketch of a list. I will throw in the caveat once again. It's Jim Ursay. I know there's people um, also listening to like, where's Kellen Moore? Where's Dan Quinn? Yeah. Where's uh, Shane Smith? Just kind of... Give some brief thoughts on why you didn't put those yeah, three names on there. By no means is this list gospel. Again, some of it is my opinion on it. I've never been a huge Kellen Moore guy. Uh, the Dan Quinn one, I don't love retreads on the defensive side of the ball. That's a little bit um, where I kind of paused at that. You know, Ken Dorsey, how much of that is just kind of being a product of, you know, being in the right organization right now. Um, so that's a reason why I didn't put his name on there. So, again, by no means. Is this some definitive 20-name list? But um, I did feel like it was time to put something like this out there and just kind of give a good little base to come from uh, when that full interview process is going to play itself out. And I, I guess I'll throw this in before we get to Twitter questions, Eddie. I do think Jeff Saturday is still a candidate. I don't think by any means it's a slam dunk, but... Um, I think you would be absolutely foolish and naive to not two things. Obviously, you have to go through a full interview process, but actually really, really go through it. Like, there's some great candidates out there. Yeah. There's some candidates working their ass off in a lot of different places right now. You'd be foolish not to look very deep into it. And you know what, Eddie? As we sit here on December 8th, and things will change, does it look like there's going to be a ton of openings? Right. You know, it doesn't look like there's going to be seven or eight. Obviously, you got Carolina and Indy. You know, we'll see about Houston, Arizona. We'll see about Arizona. We'll see about the Chargers. Um, but there's not a lot of teams that just kind of jump off the page here. Like that, one thousand percent is going to be an opening. So that could, you know, play into the Colts' uh, favor as well. Yeah, I was just kind of looking through some of these teams. They're like, okay, who could have an opening? But I don't see many teams, like you pointed out. Denver, Denver, maybe. Denver is probably a team to throw in there. So, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll we'll get to five when it's all said and done. That's probably a good number. You know, when you look at the two that are obviously open, probably throw Denver and Arizona on there and then throw one other. There's typically always a surprise, but, um, but yeah. Uh, some breaking news from Ian Rappaport. Falcons will be turning it over to Desmond Ritter after the bye week next week. Really? Yes. So the Mariota era is complete. Correct. At least for the time being. You'd be, I was team Mariota in a draft pick for the Colts quarterback playing this season. I thought that would be the least 
resource give up slash a little bit of vet and look ahead to the future. What what's their record? Five and something or other? Uh they are five and eight. Second in the NFC North NFC South. That's wild when you say that out loud. Kind of wild to see a team in second place bench their starter. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're going to do it, perfect time. They're on their bye week. So four games to go for Desmond Ritter to lead him to the promised land. Do they play the Bucks again? Uh, I do not know. Last game of the year, they got Tampa. There you go. Uh, I want to get to these couple quick little notes before we get to Twitter questions. Yeah. Um, we didn't touch on it earlier in the in the pod. I don't know if you plan on touching this on this next week, but um, the Tennessee Titans firing John Robinson. Yeah, I was stunned. Absolutely stunned by it. I don't understand it for early December. To me, it just creates a distraction within your organization that's unnecessary during a playoff run. You can, like, there, has John Robinson had some misses? Definitely. Um, but you could also say he had some hits, too. Sure, sure. But, like, even if you want to fire him, Eddie, why now? Fire him at the end of the year. Part of me thinks there's something that happened. Agreed. That was my first thought. That was literally my first thought with it. And my second thought was Chris Bauer to Nashville. Yeah, I saw your tweet about that. You know, the Vrabel connection there. This is a relationship business. And I get that, you know, a lot of Titans fans were in my mentions very quickly. You're an idiot. You're a dumbass. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Mike Vrabel, Chris Bauer have a pretty good relationship. So I think that's something, you know, potentially to keep an eye on. Um, And then this came out, what, two days ago? The Andrew Luck (laughs) tell all. Yeah, I. uh, We had Seth Wickersham who wrote the piece. We had him on our morning show earlier this week. I found it very relevant to address at one time. It's the first time we heard from Luck in the on-record aspect to it. Um, I thought it was wonderfully done by Wickersham. Um, I always want more info. So I enjoy that stuff. I know some people are like, I'm done with them. Screw them. I, I don't want any more info on it. That's fine. I'm not one of those people. And I think... You know, my little 280-character version of why Andrew Luck retired has always been this. And I feel like after reading the Wickersham piece, this was kind of just reconfirmed. Andrew Luck was letting the rehabbing of injuries impact the other relationships of his life. He could not compartmentalize and keep the rehab stuff at work and then go home and you know be a new husband and be a soon-to-be father and those sorts of things. Um, by no means am I acting like that as some easy task to accomplish, but I'm just pointing out that that's why I think he chose to retire and that he felt like those relationships were uh, being hurt by his mood, by his actions. And you know, part of what makes elite athletes elite is their ability to make sacrifices. And Luck was just no longer willing to make that sacrifice. Um, which, again, you can totally commend him for that. And as someone that, you know, ironically, I've kind of followed a similar uh, personal life timeline of Andrew Luck, of becoming a husband at a similar time he did, becoming a father at a similar time that he did. Both of us now have two children. Um, I totally can understand where Luck was coming from with a lot of that. Um, But again, just the ability to kind of compartmentalize what was going on work-wise. Clearly, him and Nicole impacting their relationship and all those things. So I think that's pretty confirmed 
in that piece. I think the one thing I took about out of that the most was like, I just wanted to tip my hat to Nicole, like all the things that she had to deal th- go through with him. Sure. And to stick by him the entire way, I think that says a lot about her. Yeah, definitely. And I think it probably helps Eddie that she's an ex-athlete at a pretty high level. She could probably understand a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Anthony Costanza was kind of a, an important third party in, in some of that, too. It seemed like uh, I know Anthony and Andrew are always extremely close there. So, again, I, I thought it was a great read and uh, beautiful work by Seth Wickersham. Uh, one final, final thing right after this came out. Eric Ebron put something on Twitter that he wanted to do a podcast All that. about that 2018 season and then he uh, at either T.Y. Hilton replied or added him or something and, uh, and T.Y. replied and said he would uh, more than likely contribute to whatever that was. Interesting. I, I'd love a little Eric Ebron, T.Y. Hilton, hopefully with a drink or two in their system <laughs> with a tell-all. Eric Ebron doesn't need much to tell-all, so uh, maybe he wouldn't uh, need to go down that path there, but sign me up for a listener for that. I know a little bit more lengthy in terms of the topics discussed before Twitter questions, so are you ready for those? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. And I got to run here in about 10 minutes, so let's do about 10 minutes worth of these. All right. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The first one comes up. Good friend of mine, Alec. Happy late birthday, buddy. Uh, his Alec, question was, happy birthday. Yeah. His question was, assuming Chris Ballard is here, what is more likely to happen? The Colts trade this year and next year's first-round pick and Shaq Leonard to the Chicago Bears for potentially selecting Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or stay put where they are at right now and draft someone like Anthony Richardson or Trevor McKee with their second-round pick? You know, knowing Ballard, it's probably the latter, but I think a big part in how this 2023 offseason will unfold, we probably should ask, what will the owner demand? If he demands quarterback, then everything's on the board. On the Leonard front, like does Leonard have trade value? It's a good question. You know, how real of trade value does he have? And Alec, I just can't see Leonard going to Chicago, a place where they just didn't want to pay Roquan Smith. Um, but Chicago's the team, Eddie. They're the team at three and ten, second overall pick. You want them to continue to lose. You want all those other teams around you to continue to win. You want Chicago to be up there because you want them as a trade partner. Um, come draft time. Jeremy says you have to extend one, trade one, and cut one. Kenny Moore, Matt Ryan, and Ryan Kelly, who would you keep, who would you cut, and who would you trade? I'd, I'd keep Kenny, cut Matt Ryan, and trade Ryan Kelly. Just because I think that's the easiest avenue to go with. Yeah, I. That boy, that's a good one. I love these. Uh, I, I'd probably do that as well. I still think Kenny can make some plays. Obviously, it's not ideal what you've laid out for me, Jeremy, but that's why it's such a good one. I, I would need to look into the cap savings a little bit more in the last two, but yeah, that's probably what I would do. Extend more, cut Ryan, trade Ryan Kelly. Is Jim Mercy actually going to scoff at tanking still at this point in the season? Why go 6-10-1 when you can go 4-12-1? That is from Devin. Yeah, Devin, that's a fair question. I mean, again, Jim Mercy wants Jeff Saturday to work. 
you know, he, he kind of falls in love with that, and, you know, he wants to sell that to fans. And it's hard to sell to fans if, you know, Saturday goes 4 12 and 1. Well, that'd be, that'd be three and, or that'd be one and seven. Then he would have gone as a, as an interim. That's really, really hard to do. Uh, I will throw in the caveat of it is Jim Mercer. You never know what he's going to do. So we'll see after the bye week what is up the Colts' sleeve. But I get zero impression right now this is a team that's going to throw in the towel. Our next question comes from our friend in Germany, Yufuk. Yufuk. What Love if the, it. What if the rumors are true and Jim Harbaugh is the biggest candidate to be the Colts' head coach? Do you think there is a real chance he brings back Andrew Luck? Just kidding. But on a real note, do you think Jim Ursay really thought that Jeff Saturday could change the direction for the season, or was it kind of a tanking move without showing that you want to tank? By the way, I got my Spotify yearly review, and your pod was the one that I listened to the most with 3.084 or 3,084 minutes. Let's go. Thank you for the great work. How about that news? You fook, great to hear from you, brother. 3,000 minutes? Boy, that sounds like a lot. Listening to you? That's, yeah. Me and Chris Presley? I know, man. You guys should get Maddie's number. Y'all can meet up for a therapy session on that front. Uh, In all seriousness, thank you for that. It means a lot. I know we had a lot of people reach out about the the old Spotify yearly review, and it's always uh, pretty touching to see that. Uh, You know, on the tanking front, again, this is not a tanking move. Like, You know, I think Ursay never viewed it in that. Ursay didn't view benching Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger in early October as as a tanking move. Now, if Saturday bombs, but he's willing to give you that honest assessment, then that is beneficial here um, over what you got for the final eight weeks here. But I really think Ursay thought that... I mean, Ursay's been on record saying he thinks the personnel, particularly the offensive line, but at other spots, is good enough. So I think Ursay really felt like Making the move in season could lead to some actual short-term changes. I did find it interesting on Monday or on Sunday. Uh, Jeff Saturday's at that presser saying, "Guys, you know, they didn't call me because the situation was good. They called me because the situation was bad." Yeah. I know Saturday didn't necessarily mean that, but when I hear that, it means it's bad in that it's not just the head coach. You know, a head coach is not just going to snap his fingers and all of a sudden they're going to be able to cure all. You mean he doesn't have like a genie or a magic wand or something? No genie or magic wand to change some of the personnel Nuts. issues on this roster as well. Um, would you trust Chris Ballard to make a head coaching search since his pick in 2018 was Josh McDaniels, who has never shown that he can be an effective coach outside the Bill Belichick system? Seems like we've talked so much about roster construction but that should be talked about more. Thanks for all the work you do from Sam. Oh, I appreciate that, Sam. You know, this is a really good question. It's one I've probably been torn on. Like, now granted, if the Raiders win tonight, will that be four straight for him? Yeah. Josh McDaniel's going to try and backdoor their way into the playoffs or something. Um, I think we think so many times with the GM hire, it's draft, 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 personnel, free agency, trades, all of that. We forget that you know part of a GM is you are hiring a head coach in all likelihood at some point, and that's a far different sort of mode of operations, 
arguably skill set than it takes to be a successful scout. Um, so I, I, I do think that's very relevant here. Um, I get the hindsight is super 2020. I don't think there are many people in 2018 sitting there at the time saying, oh my gosh, they hired Josh McDaniels over Mike Vrabel? <laughs> you know? And obviously how it played out is how it played out, but I've just never been one to view Ballard in the light of like, he screwed up McDaniels, that means he can't hire a single head coach. Right. I've got criticisms of Ballard, you guys have heard me say that, and I don't know, maybe I'm carrying Ballard's water here, but I I just haven't looked at it in that realm. The next question comes from Danny. He says, bye week is here, now we talk about the interesting stuff. If you're coming in as the new Colts general manager, would you really want to draft a quarterback not named Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud this year? Or would you rather draft the best player available at offensive tackle, wide receiver, or edge, and draft studs like Caleb Williams or, oh man, I'm forgetting his name right now, his first name. Drake May? Drake May, thank yeah, you. Uh-huh. Next year. Luke brother, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to say Luke, but I, did, I know Luke wasn't his name. Yeah, Dan, it's a really, really good question. Um, That's something I asked you about a couple pods ago. Yeah, I was going to say, I felt like it was something that you kind of threw at me. First off, you know, where's the guarantee you get the first or second pick next year? Right. On some level, and I get it, Caleb Williams and and Drake May, there's starting to be a lot of chatter about this duo. But at some level, Eddie, I feel like we hear this every year. Hey, wait till next year's quarterback class. Wait till next year's quarterback class. You know, both these guys look the, deal, the real deal. Sure, though. sure. And again, I I, I want to acknowledge that. Again, these two look a little bit different, but I also sit here on December eighth and think, you know, how was Josh Allen viewed? Of uh, in December twenty seventeen before his twenty eighteen draft, Joe Burrow the same way. How was Patrick Mahomes viewed in December before his April draft? Like. Just because it's not necessarily Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud doesn't mean that Will Levis or Hendon Hooker or Anthony Richardson or Tanner McKee could turn into something. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the the likelihood of that isn't terrific, but at some point, Eddie, the Colts are going to make a quarterback draft pick, and it will be ripped because it's quarterback and because it's a draft, Yep, and that happens. But you've got to look at your coaching staff and say, we trust you to develop. And this is the biggest undertaking this organization has had in decades. But we have got to develop and believe. And that's what you have to do. You've got to find guy, find a guy that has has traits, traits that you like, and traits that can be developed. So, um, you know, best player available at spots that are clearly of need. I totally hear you out, Danny. But then you get to that next draft cycle, and what if the Colts go six and ten? Yeah, and you go QB one, QB two, and the Colts are getting, you know, the exact same version of, um, you know, maybe what they're getting this year. So um, I understand that, but I still feel like there's proven third, fourth QBs you can find in drafts that have gone on to have tremendous success in the NFL. Uh, last question, and recently Jalen Hurts being one of them. Yeah. Um, Mike White even maybe Hey now Mike White 
Uh, last one, you said? Yes. We'll go to Kit. Okay. Um, you've discussed a couple times about how the locker room doesn't care about a draft pick and will never tank. However, don't these players also know how important a marquee quarterback is to have success as a team and what record is required to get one of those guys in the draft? I know none of them will say that publicly. That has to be in the back of their mind, especially when they lose these close games. Thoughts? Yeah, Kit, I'm glad you brought this up because I think the whole tanking topic is a fascinating one. And one of the beauties of an NFL locker room is you've got 53 dudes, you've got 53 guys that probably view their job security in the NFL very differently. Does DeForest Buckner care about what the Colts quarterback situation looks like? Nope. He probably cares more about it than the 53rd guy on the roster. Yep. The 53rd guy on the roster is thinking, I'm running down on special teams tomorrow. I'm just trying to make it to next week. I'm just trying to be on a training camp roster. Like, if you're 90% of the roster, you're caring about your own spot in this league and on this team. Uh, Having said that, Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner are still playing to win week in and week out. And, you know, I thought it was a great quote from, I think it was Scotty Montgomery we were talking with last week, the running backs coach. He's like, how am I supposed to go home and tell my kids that we just tried to lose. We just coached to lose. Like, no player is going to tank. Even if in the back of the mind you're like, well, that could help us for next year. You live in such a present, short-term life cycle here in the NFL. You can't think like that. Plus, you know if a new GM is coming here, that GM's walking in this building, and he's going to F some you-know-what up. That GM's going to blow up that roster. So there's a good chance you Buckner might not even be here next year. That GM wants to put his fingerprints all over that roster. Look what, I mean, Ballard took a blowtorch to what Ryan Gregson had from a yeah. roster standpoint. So I just don't think you can think in that light. I understand the question. I get there's some guys on the, on the roster that deep down realize, you know, where that tanking thing comes from. But there's a good chance you might not even be here next year. Eddie, I got to run. Um, we'll do kind of a Tuesday or Wednesday pod next week. I did want to mention this before we wrap up. One of our most loyal, loyal listeners to this podcast since day one. He was an early um, Beers with Bowen uh, participant there. Um, his name is David. David's a nurse practitioner here in town. David uh, tragically lost his dad, Randall, um, about a week ago, just a few days after there at the Steelers game this past weekend, or I guess now two weeks ago, I should say. Um, just a great, great human, David. My heart breaks for him and his family. Um, so I wanted to mention him and his dad to close things out. Um, Randall, again, was his father. Uh, they were at that Colt Steelers game together. David reached out and mentioned that you know he'll always kind of have that lasting memory of being inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, doing something that he absolutely loved to do with his dad. Um, so thinking about David and his family, and just a reminder everybody out there to just cherish, cherish these times with your family members. And your friends. Do you have an update on your wife's uh, friend and Lindsey Garrison? Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, do not have any update on that. I think there were some early whispers that potentially someone within our family might have. Not a fully 100% match, but close to a match. Um, stem cell treatment for um, one of my wife's friends who's diagnosed with leukemia. So um, hopefully we'll get some update on that. Hopefully get as close to 100% of a match as possible with that. But you know, I said this around Thanksgiving. Again, the older you get, I just think you find yourself a little bit more thankful and grateful for everything. So, 
Again, cherish these times with your family members this week. Everybody have a great week, and uh, thanks for listening to Kevin's Corner.